crimes, paranormal investigations, urban legends, and strange happenings. Welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. <laughs> hey, welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. This is episode 103. I'm Abby. I'm Kate, and we'll be your ghostesses in spring. I think we said this last time, because we were talking oh. about the baby ducks. This time, baby sheep. Man. Ma. Well, it wasn't actually spring the last time, though, so I'm keeping you up to date with British seasons. Yeah, officially. Officially. Sprung. Officially. Yeah. It's spring. I'm excited. Me too. Spring is the best, one of the best seasons. What? Autumn, spring, summer, winter. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we agree. Yeah. Tell us if you agree, but if you don't, then you're kind of wrong, because summer has bugs, winter's too cold, autumn is perfect, Halloween, spring, babies, baby animals, and... Ice coffee season. I feel like somehow you've made bullet points into words. And there you go. What are you talking about today also on the podcast that we do? This week on the podcast that we do, I'll be telling you about the creepy urban legend slash true crime slash unknown thing of Spring-Heeled Jack. Sounds very concise and well put together. It's a mess. I'm talking about cocaine bear. Oh, yours is easy then. Cocaine and a bear, done. Put it together. Anyway, on to my story. <laughs> do you have any news? Um, I do, but also I have a little question for everyone. Okay. I am going to dye my hair. Oh. And I want to know what colour. Oh. <laughs> so let me know. That's exciting. Yeah. We're all going to take part. Fancy bit of change. I don't know. I'm having a haircut at the weekend. Do I get to say anything? Yeah. Okay. I think about it. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, yeah, the news. Of course, my source is unexplained-mysteries.com. Legends. There has been a glitch in the Matrix. Oh. This was back in February, but we were super behind with podcasts, so I'm giving myself a free pass. The glitch happened at 1pm in Surrey in British Columbia by L.A. Matheson Secondary School on the 18th of February, where a dead bird was found floating in midair. Oh. There's footage online, and although the bird is near some power cables... There is nothing attached to the bird to make it hang there. During the video, it zooms in on the bird, which moves a bit, presumably with the wind. But the bird itself isn't, like, moving of its own accord. And like I say, you can't see anything attached to the bird. Wow. Weirder still, this isn't the first time it's happened. There was a similar incident in 2020 in Gallup, New Mexico, where again it was filmed. Which I think I might have spoken about. Ew, I hate it. Yeah. Ugh. That's the news. I I don't know how I feel about that. Just I was thinking about doing out. a whole episode about that kind of stuff, but it's so freaky. It is weird. And the list goes on and on about weird things. <laughs> yeah, that's how we have a podcast. <laughs> I mean, like, that's how we haven't run weird out simulation stuff. Yeah. Like, there's so much of it that I think the podcast would be hours long and I'd go delirious. And the people are dreaming. Yeah. People mm. are like, don't cover it. <laughs> We like your 10 minutes of nonsense and then we we hang up. Yeah. You hear just the first 30 minutes and then Kate speaks and you say, no more. I'm messing. You're clearly oh. the best one. Oh. Everyone's whatever. here for you. You tell me about your story now. I'm upset. How do you feel about the bird thing? Do you think that it's... I don't know. I don't know. A, a uni lecturer, I think, or a geologist or geographist or something like that. Geographer. 
um, weighed in on it and said like, oh, it's probably just like really thin fishing line. And I'm like, why is that up there? Yeah, why would someone have done that though? Like I understand maybe if a bird flew through some fishing line and continued to try and fly and got caught. Possibly. But like surely you'd see something. Yeah, I don't know. I'll take. I'll check out the footage. Felt very weird. I I'll watched it, and you can't see anything. Hmm. Maybe it's something to do with like the wind. The wind just carries I'm dead birds. Not a scientist. <laughs> yeah. You know when it's windy and it's just a tornado of dead birds. <laughs> it was so windy last night that I thought that there was a hurricane, but I think I was just confused. You are I so woke, confused when you're tired. Yeah, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I'm always so confused when I'm tired. And I was like, oh. The wind is so loud, I'm going to die. But it was just regular wind. It's completely fine just now. Just normal amounts of wind. Yeah, I just shut the window and I was like, oh. <laughs> I love that so much. I don't ever want you to experience a real life hurricane because I think you'd cry. I would. I would. I'm scared of the wind. Anyway. <laughs> you ever seen Twister where that cow gets picked up and carried? No, and I don't want to because I'm scared of the wind and I don't want cows to get twisted. They don't... The cow wasn't... <laughs> don't twist cows. <laughs> Anyway, the true story of Cocaine Bear. So my sources are Esquire.com, Wikipedia, Independent, and Nat Geo. So I'm sure we are all aware... Oh, actually, I'm sorry. Fuck off. I have another piece of news. What? (laughs) I just started my story. You're not allowed to say anything else. Sorry. Here I am, saying other things. Also, we got a message on Instagram from Jess about a Tumblr post. This post is about a vulva, which is werewolf in Shetland... There's a fairly typical human body, wolf head guy, but he leaves fish on the windowsills of poor families, which I thought was very sweet. That is and both everyone, nice and horrific. Everyone Thank should you know. Guys. Why didn't you make that your news story? Now you can continue. I would think it was more interesting if I wasn't interrupted. So, well, Jess, I hope you're happy that this is how your story worked out. <laughs> Kate ruins everything with it. Thank you for sending it. Anyway, I'm sure we are all aware of the wildest thing to come out in the cinema. The wildest thing to come out in the cinema so far. Babylon. Yeah. (laughs) That is the craze of cocaine bear. Everyone's talking about it. Are you going to go see it? Probably not. It's probably... They probably made it scary, right? And I don't... They made it like... I think it's like a Sharknado type... Type thing. Maybe I will watch it then. But... A while back before I'd heard of the movie, I was reading about this incident and I thought, when's a better time to talk about it? So let's get into the true story. Also, as a side note, other names for this very real bear include Koki the Bear and my personal favourite, Pablo Escobar. So this story starts with a man named Andrew Carter Thornton II, big name, who was born in 1944. He was an expert paratrooper. What are you laughing at? Big name. It was a big name. Why? Because his name was Andrew Carter Thornton II. Oh, right. <laughs> I thought you were like, you were just picking the size of names. You're like, Tom, short name. <laughs> Albie, medium name. Anyway, he was an expert paratrooper, which means that he was sick on a parachute and he served in the military for what? quite some time. After he left, he moved back to his hometown in Kentucky and joined the police. More specifically, he joined the narcotics squad. He worked here for a little while and he just seemed like, you know, an average guy. And becoming a cop after being in the army seemed like natural progression. However, it wasn't long until he became dirty and he developed an interest in drugs that wasn't really what he was supposed to be doing. He became dirty because it rained and then he jumped in a puddle. You're on some weird, weird stuff today. It's early morning. He started selling drugs and eventually he left the police to become an attorney. 
From all accounts, Andrew had a hunger for adrenaline, and many think this is why he got into drug smuggling in the first place. He wanted to be part of something exciting, and so his narcotic deals only increased in size and scale. I feel like you can't be surprised that a paratrooper loved adrenaline. Oh, yeah. I don't think anyone was shocked about it. But I think that's why he started doing the job. And then he was like, how can I get more adrenaline? What can I do next? Right. So then he started getting into drug dealing. And then he was like, how about instead of regular drug dealing, I start smuggling things. I start just going crazy with it. Let's Jesus. just do big stuff. In 1981, when Andrew was about 37, him and 24 others were charged with piloting a plane that was smuggling marijuana from South America into Kentucky. After several months of him being a fugitive, he eventually spent five years in prison for his crimes. But did this make him change his ways? Yeah. Absolutely not. Oh. Instead, a few years later in 18... Oh my god, 1800s. In 1985, <laughs> Andrew decided he wanted to smuggle some cocaine. Andrew and his accomplice... Accomplice? And accomplice, accomplice were trafficking cocaine from Colombia into the United States via a self-piloted plane. There was a lot of cocaine on board. Around $15 million worth. Like the plane flies itself? No, like they're piloting the plane. That's the most stupid thing I've ever said. Why would the plane fly itself? <laughs> they just sit on the plane? I was like, we have this technology and no one's using it apart from drug smugglers? Are you joking? Do you want to play the inflation game? Yeah, go on then. 1985, yep. $15 million. $23 million. 41 so the two of them dropped a loading in Georgia and then they ditched 40 containers of cocaine into a national forest because it was weighing down the plane too much. Andrew was wearing the sickest outfit at the time when he jumped out of the plane. He, was, he jumped out in the dead of night and he was wearing night vision goggles, a bulletproof vest, and Gucci loafers. Wow. That yeah. very much gives you energy. That's a fit. Yeah, right. If I could afford all of those things, I'd wear them just around. Oh, I know. You would wear night vision goggles just all the time. Imagine being able to see it at night. Properly. Like, not turn the light on. I'm going outside into the wilderness and I can just see. I would never be afraid to leave the house at night. If there's a threat, I see it. <laughs> and I'm wearing a bulletproof vest. And Gucci loafers. No one's coming for me. No. However, despite being trained and experienced at this, unfortunately, Andrew hit his head on the tail of the plane and his parachute jammed, meaning he quickly fell to his death. It seemed like the other man perished in the plane when it crash-landed in the hills of Carolina. When Andrew's body was found, it didn't take them long to link it with the plane, because the shoes didn't match the attire of the government agent, so they were like, maybe this is an army guy. And then they were like, why would you be wearing Gucci loafers? We need to check this out. His body landed in Tennessee with a large amount of cash and some weapons. Police were able to figure out the flight path, given all the clues, and they set off to retrieve all the bags of cocaine that were now spread across this huge forest. And at first it seemed pretty simple. You know, they quickly retrieved nine of the bags, but then a black bear found the rest of them. Oh no. The cocaine bags were found torn open, as the bear had likely sniffed it out and consumed all of it. A few months later, investigators came across a large deceased black bear. It was fairly young and didn't have any injuries, so they conducted an autopsy. Which is interesting in itself, because, like, did they know... The bear had done this, or were they like, why is that bear dead? And then it like racked their brain so much they had to go and conduct an autopsy of a bear. Well, probably because like if there's like a an illness going around, then they'd have to like put measures in place, right? Smart. 
I didn't think of that. I was like, oh, they just care about this bear so much. No. Give him a pro- proper funeral. No, I think it's probably like conservation efforts, stuff like that. Well, that's nice. <laughs> they weren't just like, oh my God, why is he dead? What's what's happening with this bear? What the hell? <laughs> but either way, they discovered that the bear had consumed $2 million worth of cocaine, around se- 34 kilograms or 74 pounds. Oh, my God. The examiner said that his stomach was packed to the brim with cocaine and it was conducted that this creature, sorry, it was concluded that this creature had an experience like no other before its demise. Unlike the film, yeah, the, the bear did not go on a crazy killing rampage. Oh. But it was appreciated for many years to come. They taxidermied the bear and put it in a recreation center. And then Waylon Jennings, the country singer, bought it and gifted it to a friend who then passed away. So then someone else bought it. And then when he passed away, Cocaine Bear was put in a mall in Kentucky, and he's wearing a little hat. (gasps) Yeah. People go and take photos with it, and the mall also has an entire Cocaine Bear merch shop, including a beer can cooler that says, I partied with Cocaine Bear, which I would definitely buy. Like a koozie? Yeah. (sighs) Oh, yeah. We're going to go, and we're going to buy it. Yeah. I would love to go see Cocaine Bear. And best of all... Cocaine Bear can legally officiate your wedding if you choose to have it at the mall. Well, technically, the bear doesn't have the authority because it's a dead bear. Well, I was like, he's dead, yeah. But Kentucky, Kentucky, <laughs> Kentucky, Kentucky can't invalidate marriages performed by an unqualified person if the person at the time believed that the person could legally marry them. Does so that make sense? if you sense? believe the spirit of Cocaine Bear can marry you... That's exactly what I said. I put, if you cross your heart and re- really believe Cocaine Bear can marry you, he can. Wow. Yeah. Scientists are unsure whether animals can get high off drugs or whether they have the same kind of experiences that humans do, but I did more research on this and I will put it on Patreon, which will be out tomorrow. But that's all I have. Imagine getting legally wed by a dead bear. Like, why would you even bother going to, like, Vegas for Elvis to marry you? When oh, you could right, get yeah. Cocaine bear in all his glory. A bear in a hat. A dead bear in a hat. Perfect. I can't Filled think of anything cocaine. better. Yeah, to the brim. Full up of cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty sick. <laughs> I mean, I feel bad for the bear. He had a bad time. He passed away. He might not. He might have had the best time and been like, it was worth it. He had a bad time. Oh, I didn't want to put it in the episode. I didn't want to be a downer. Oh. You can get married by him. Oh, no. Yay! What happened? Everything is fine. Oh, no. <laughs> you want to see the scare scale? Yeah. How scary is Cocaine Bear? Bear ramped up on cocaine, five. How dangerous? Five. Oh, God, okay. This man could have done anything. I mean, he didn't, but he could have. Okay, how likely is it that... <laughs> that he was full of cocaine? Five. <laughs> Do you have any other ideas? This is a cut and dry story. Bear did coke, now he dead. That's it. Right, what am I supposed to say? It's not like an urban legend, is it? We've got the proof. There's Ooh, the dead the bear. The urban legend of the bear. Uh, other idea. Maybe big name man wanted to create an army of souped up animals to serve him in his smuggling exploitations. And he's still out there. It was a fake body. Oh no, I think it went wrong for him. Oh. And one bear ate all of it. Man. But I think the idea was to distribute to woodland animals. Get them so on all side. the animals are on cocaine. Yeah. And like, what, you're going to shoot it? It's not going to die. Mm. Because it's souped up. Yeah. Yeah, that's my idea. That's a mega idea. 
Thank you. Hollywood, if you want to make Cocaine Bear 2, Big will brain. take $40 million. You know what actually I was thinking about was Open Season. If you want to make Open Season 3. Four. Four. Then it'll be $50 million. But it'll have to be an 18 plus Open Season. We can make the plot slightly different where we could be like, they're eating these flowers and the flowers make them crazy. But it's cocaine. <laughs> we know it. The I know, know it, it, you know it. The kids know it. And if you know it, and you want to follow us on social media, you can do that at Myths Magic Pod on Facebook and Instagram. We've got a Facebook group you can join in on. Please join in on. I keep posting things in there and everyone's just looking at it. <laughs> if you want to head over to Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash Myths Magic Murder. On the Patreon, you can see us and our shining faces first thing in the morning for this very episode. Um, we also have merchandise on there. We have 10% off of our merchandise that you get if you're a Patreon, and you can pay as little or as much as you want to the Patreon a month. You can see the merch over on mythsmagicandmurder.com. Goodness me, I almost forgot our own name. And on the website, we've got like a little submissions thing. And if you have any haunted happenings, terrifying tales or spooky stories you can email us on mythsmagicandmurder at gmail.com tell me about your story kate i will do that so my sources are wikipedia medium.com thoughtcatalog.com all that's interesting.com historic-uk.com and atlasobscura.com so what on earth is spring-heeled jack he sounds like a mad lad well to answer the question, you've got to cast your mind back to Victorian London. They don't want to. I hate Victorian London. I've literally written a fearful thing for you, I know. The first sighting of Spring Hill Jack is from September 1837 in Barnes Common, London. Here, a businessman had just finished working overtime and was heading home via a shortcut. The shortcut, of course, involved a cemetery, as all good shortcuts do. Oh, yeah. And as he passed along the railings of the cemetery, a figure jumped high over the railings and landed in front of him. The businessman looked at the figure and spotted pointy ears, red glowing eyes, and a large pointy nose. So not only does this guy have to live in Victorian London, but he's just seen a little freak as well. <laughs> yeah. This is nightmarish. I didn't know you were in Victorian London. <laughs> Get out of here. Of course, as anyone in their right mind would, the businessman legged it away. The next night, however, three girls weren't so lucky. When the same event happened in the very same place, two of the girls had their coats grabbed and torn as they attempted to flee, but the third girl didn't make it away quick enough and was later found by a policeman. She was unconscious and her clothes were torn. The next sighting happened in October 1837 from Mary Stevens, a young woman who had just finished visiting her parents in Battersea and she was returning to her employer's home at Lavender Hill. She was in Clapham Common when out of nowhere, a tall figure entirely clad in black clothing jumped out at Mary and grabbed hold of her. The person then gave Mary a kiss, groped her, and then laughed uncontrollably. Mary screamed, and the person ran into the darkness. Many people gathered around Mary to help her, and immediately started searching for whoever that was, but to no avail. They described the sorry. She described the attacker's hands as claw-like, and said they were cold and clammy, like a corpse. Ew. Then, just one night later, this person was seen by Mary's home, but quickly jumped from the shadows in front of a horse-drawn carriage. The horses were spooked and crashed the carriage into housing, injuring the driver. 
Then the figure made its escape by jumping over a nine-foot-high wall with no problem. Then, that very same night, a woman was attacked near Clapham Churchyard. At the scene, there were two footprints in the dirt, around three inches deep. So it was believed that whoever made the footprints had landed from a big height. I hate this guy. A few months after this, on the 9th of January 1838, the Lord Mayor of London held a public session at the Mansion House and spoke about an anonymous letter he'd received, signed off as a resident of Peckham. Within the letter, it said as follows. An unmanly villain has succeeded in depriving seven ladies of their senses, two of whom are not likely to recover, but to become burdens to their families. At one house, the man rang the bell. <laughs> That's so rude. I know, right? At one house, the man rang the bell, and on the servant coming to open the door, this worse than brute stood in no less dreadful figure than a spectre clad most perfectly. The consequence was that poor... The, sorry. The consequence was that the poor girl immediately swooned and has never from that moment been in her senses. The affair has now been going on for some time, and strange to say, the papers are still silent on the subject. So obviously, the letter is talking about the person we know as spring Jack, but the Lord Mayor was very sceptical about the content. However, someone in the audience confirmed that young female servants were telling stories about a ghost or devil that fit that description in Kensington, Hammersmith and Ealing. The, this very day, the day of the meeting, the Times reported about spring Jack, with other newspapers following suit the next day, which led to the mayor's office getting a flurry of letters sent describing the same person terrorising neighbourhoods across London. The next report, and one of the more well-known ones, was from 18-year-old Jane Alsop. She lived with her father and two sisters, and was the one to answer the door when someone knocked on the night of the 19th of February, 1838, just before 9pm. When she opened the door, she saw a man who claimed to be a police officer, and he said, We've caught Spring Hill Jack here in the lane, and he asked her to bring a light out with her because they needed it. She brought out a candle and gave it to him, but the second she did, he threw off his big dark cloak, revealing a skin-tight white oil skin, which is like a type of seafarer's jacket. I was, can't imagine that, but it sounds repulsive. Right? <laughs> he was also wearing a large helmet, had red eyes, and proceeded to shoot a jet of blue and white flames from his mouth into her face. All right. He also started scratching at her with metallic claws. Interesting. This has just escalated a lot. Yeah. <laughs> She ran back to her home and was saved by one of her sisters when she scared spring Jack away. Later, a man named Thomas Milbank was arrested and tried for this attack. He also claimed that he was spring Jack, but Jane insisted that the assailant could breathe fire, so he wasn't convicted for the assault. Then on the 28th of February, Lucy Scales was attacked at around 8.30pm while she was walking home with her sister Margaret after leaving their brother's house. As the two of them were going along Green Dragon Alley, they saw someone stood in like a kind of cutout in the alleyway. She was in front of her sister, and as they got to the mysterious figure, who was wearing a cloak, he shot blue flames from his mouth into her face. Oh my god. She dropped to the ground and had a fit. I've written it here, I'm not sure what kind of fit she's having, if she's hysterical from shock or if she's having a seizure, because, like, there's no differentiation for Victorian England. No, it's just, just like... They're having a fit, and it's like, they could be laughing. They could be crying. Yeah, there's no telling. Immediately after, the figure left. 
Margaret attempted to help her sister, and their brother had heard screams and come out to see what was going on. So the pair of them took Lucy home, where she eventually recovered. After all of this, the character of Spring-Heeled Jack gained notoriety. He became the subject of a few Penny Dreadfuls, which, for those who don't know, is like popular scary-ish comics released frequently back in Victorian times. It's a good way of describing that. Right? I was like, I don't know how to say this. Creepy. He was also put in plays, and the Devil in Punch and Judy shows was renamed after Spring-Heeled Jack. Wow. Then he vanished. Oh. He didn't appear again until the beginning of the 1870s. In November 1872, the News of the World was reporting about the Peckham ghost, but it was realised that the description of the terroriser fit Spring-Heeled Jack. Then, in April and May of 1873, there were many sightings of the Park ghost in Sheffield, which again turned out to fit the description of Spring-Heeled Jack. Just a few years later, in 1877, there was a report from a group of soldiers stationed in Aldershot Garrison, which is in south-east England. A sentry that was on duty in the North Camp was looking out and saw a strange figure coming towards him. He yelled out, presumably warning the figure to leave, but it completely ignored him and continued to get closer. It came right up next to the soldier and slapped him in the face a couple times. The soldier shot the figure, but it was completely unfazed. Then it bounced into the surrounding darkness, taking inhumanly large leaps and bounds. After this... I hate that, it's so gross. I know. (laughs) After this, the night crews were ordered to shoot the night terror on sight, but it was never seen here again. Finally, the last time anyone heard of Jack, he was here in Liverpool. (gasps) No! No! In 1888, he was seen in Everton, which is to the north of the city, as he appeared on the roof of the St. Francis Xavier's Church on Salisbury Street. Then he came back for a final time in 1904, bouncing from the roads to the rooftops on William Henry Street. No. And since then, he has never been seen again. And I hope he's never seen again anyway. If I see that, I'll kill him. (laughs) Yeah, that Jack. This is a threat to you, buddy. (laughs) This is an unveiled threat. You're a little creep. (laughs) What do you think? I think he's horrible. Awful, right? I mean, his morals are screwed. Truth. But in terms of just his physical experience, I hate him. Physical experience. Sorry, he's long and he's jumping around in a cloak. Red eyes. Get out of here. Blue flames? The blue flames thing I'm confused about. Aren't we all? Because I feel like he could just be a weird guy, but like, is he a cryptid? What is this? Mm, I don't know. I don't like him. Yeah. It's said on Wikipedia that it's an urban legend. Yeah, I guess. Mm. Horrific. Yeah. What do you think about it? I don't know. I had a few ideas for the ideas, but if you don't have any ideas. I have a couple of ideas. How scary do you think this is? Five. How dangerous? Like a three. What is the likelihood that he existed? I'm going to say two and a half. Okay. To make um, myself feel comforted. <laughs> and what are your ideas? My ideas are that there's a little little freaky guy running about. Freaky guy. Great. Um, there was just a different person that was regular. Regular person. And was committing these these things. So just crime. Crime. But yeah, just normal crime. I feel like a person wearing all black and committing a crime isn't 
a crazy concept, especially in the Victorian times when they couldn't you know, get caught get caught doing anything. You could do whatever you wanted and no one would even notice. Um, and I think maybe the flame thing is just because she'd said it in a hysterics and then it happened again because someone had convinced themselves it happened the first time. Yeah. That's kind of what I think this is. Okay, so I'd also written about mass hysteria, which I think is what you were getting onto with yeah. with that. Um, and it could be a ghost or a devil. It could be. Yeah, it could be a ghost. Yeah, because that's what all of the um, <clears throat> the ladies were saying, is that it was a ghost and it matched up with like the park ghost and stuff like that. So it could be, could be, it could could be, be a ghost, like a yeah. freaky little ghost thing. Yeah. Horrific. Little creep. Little creepy ghost. Yeah. Get wrecked. Get out of here. Oh, loser. Well, you creepy little. Clammy ghost. little hands. Oh, corpse like little mitts. Little freak. Fucking. <laughs> and that's what we're going to say to make sure he doesn't come back. Yeah. Because I think if a ghost is in the room and it's trying to scare you, bully it. That's what I said. All make that him time feel, ago. Make him feel like an idiot. Make him feel tiny. Oh, what are you going to do, tiny idiot, baby? Ghost? You're going to jump? Ooh, you're oh, you're going to cry? Frogs can jump, bitch. Idiot. <laughs> and then what? Then he's going to he's gonna cry. Yeah. And then you'll say, look, it's okay that you're like this, but we have to change. Have you considered going to therapy? I have a really good number for a therapist. Oh, my God. Mates rates. It's okay that you feel bad, but you don't have to give it to other people. You don't have to commit this, the trauma cycle. <laughs> I feel like you're projecting. <laughs> Everything is fine and you're doing a good job. <laughs> and then I start crying and Everything's we, going and we embrace fine. and then I fix him. And then you fall in love. Uh, that feels like a stretch. Aww. No matter if he's a good person or like, he's still jumping along the rooftops and that does freak me out more than anything else, honestly. Oh, he's only little. No, he's not. He's really tall, actually, and can jump over nine foot fences. Oh, he's nice. And though. that in itself is horrific. Very sweet. I don't, I don't think you understand. I mean, once you've fixed him. So when I fix him, I also fix his legs. No. They're just like that. He's still springy. Yeah. So he's still a creep. Just in the heel. Just like a... He's polite. Well, he doesn't have to do it anymore. Oh, no, I'd feel bad. <laughs> he should be allowed to do that if he, he, if he can. He reach his full potential. Yeah, if I could jump that big, yes, it would be terrifying. But I would want people to like suggest that I do it. Because it's part of me. You can't take that away. We chat so much shit on this podcast. I know. It's quite early. <laughs> it's quite early. Yeah. In, in life. Yeah. We got we still got time. <laughs> no, I mean it's early in the morning. You heard it here first. You dance. We still got time, hon. And you know what? We pick how long this episode is, so maybe we'll just keep talking shit. Maybe. So do you think that what's the what's the best flavour of crisp? I would say Smoky bacon. Or roast chicken. I think it depends on the crisp. I'm a vegetarian. I like barbecue. There's this one um, Japanese crisp called Ignited Seafood. And I love it. And they used to sell it in Kenji, but they don't anymore. So sad. We'll find you the Ignited Seafood. Yeah. It I smells like, rancid, though. I like knickknacks a lot. Big time. You do, yeah. Big time knickknack girl. People keep messaging me. I know, saying. Get out of here. Too popular. I know. That's what it is. Right, I'm done now. My back hurts. Well, so. my thing's just come off again, so we might as well just turn it off. All right. Well, see ya. Don't listen before bed. Listen before bed. <laughs>